let's welcome Dunk up this morning. Well, good morning, Christchurch. Isn't it a beautiful morning to be together? Uh, and uh, welcome online as well. It's great to uh, minister God's words to you this morning. I'm going to jump straight in. If you want to turn to 1 Corinthians in chapter 5, we're going to be looking um, at the whole of this chapter. It's just a short uh, chapter. And we're continuing our series on holy living. I'd like to remind you, Paul wrote this letter to the church in Corinth to address particular issues that the church was grappling with. Paul had already dealt with the disunity And we are considering this morning the issue of immorality and inappropriate sexual relationships within the church, not in society. So let's read together 1 Corinthians and chapter 5. Paul said, it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus... And my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus. You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, Since then, you would need to go out of the world. But now I'm writing to you to to not associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church who you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Paul urges in the next couple of chapters us to flee from sexual immorality. And then in chapter 7, he lays a beautiful foundation for the gift of singleness and the gift of marriage. Each of us, of course, have one of those gifts. We either have the gift of singleness or we have the gift of marriages, and they are a gift to us. And let us be clear right at the outset, marriage in scripture means a covenant relationship between one man and one woman for life. I've entitled this message, Discipline and Deliverance. 
Paul has already sent Timothy to this church to remind them, to teach them the ways of Christ. The warning from Paul was very clear. Sexual immorality is a no-no in the church because we, the church, are the holy people of God, a holy nation here on earth. In fact, Paul is specific in saying that those who practice immorality are excluded from the kingdom. If you just flip over to chapter 6, not wanting to nick nick the next preacher's bit, but just read verse uh, 9 here. Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. These are strong words, aren't they? And Paul repeats these in Galatians 5, adding sorcery, jealousy, fits of rage, and orgies. Paul's tone of language here is urgent. This is not some suggestion to the church that the church might consider. No, Paul goes for the jugular vein, if you like. This is a tough love message. It's urgent. It's one to act upon. And it is important that we hear it clearly. The principles and practice given here are for all time. They weren't just for the Corinthian church. So they apply to us today. So my first point is that church is not a safe place if you are arrogant about holy living. If you practice immoral sex or try to live a life of hidden sin and you're proud and arrogant about that behavior this will ultimately be exposed in this life or in the next the greeks of the day had invented a term to corinthianize which actually meant to live an immoral life this is what the city was known for it was known for its immorality and that immorality had crept into the church, as it does in our day. Paul had received a report of immorality in the church. It wasn't a rumour. He didn't just hear it from one person. It wasn't gossip. It was a reported fact. And some in the church had written to him about this matter. The case was one of incest, and the man concerned was arrogant and had an unrepentant heart. He did not want to change. Paul instructs that he is to be dealt with by removal from the church. Paul's language is emphatic. Don't associate with sexually immoral people if they claim to be a brother. Don't even eat with them. Purge the evil from among you. You cannot interpret these scriptures in any other way. They're plain and simple, aren't they? Either the person stops the behavior or the church body stops it. Unholy living is not to be tolerated in the church of Jesus Christ. Under Jewish law in the Talmud, a man would be stoned to death for this behavior. Even under Roman law, which wasn't Jewish based, forbade incest. And yet some in the Corinthian church were tolerating and even boasting arrogantly about this, calling it their freedom. Jesus would have said no. Paul says no. You must deal with this before I come, he says. Don't endlessly discuss it. 
Urgent action needs to take place, he says. Paul, in effect, says, don't stone him, throw him out of the church. Do this as a church. I find this interesting that they were to do it as a church in the name of Jesus Christ and in his power. It wasn't up to the elders, it was the church to do it. Deal with him as a body of people. Don't procrastinate, chuck him out. This handing over to Satan that Paul says is not some weird ceremony, but is language intended to shock and to lead this man to repentance. It's meant to shock the church and the person. This harsh discipline was intended to show the seriousness of sin and to lead to change. The aim is for this man's salvation and deliverance. So let's ask the question, why is this such a big deal? Why such drastic action? Is God concerned what happens in the bedroom? And need we be concerned? We live in a society, you know, where peer pressure is immense. I think we don't really, un uh, we underestimate the uh, pressure of peer pressure that's upon us. And in modern society, changing moral values uh, are against God's best for us. A 104-year-old lady was asked, what is good about being 104? What's good about being your age? She replied, there's no peer pressure. <laughs> In our society, you know, we are told to be tolerant of every deviant sexual practice of our society says, if it's between consenting adults, it's okay, it's permissible. This is far from okay in society because it breaks up family life between a man and a woman and it's definitely not okay within the church. We are called to be different, to be a holy people. Consenting to rob a bank with another person doesn't make robbing a bank okay. Consenting to immoral behaviour doesn't make it okay. It always damages. Within the church, we are not to tolerate or be involved in any sexual activity with another person outside of the covenant of marriage. That is the bottom line. Marriage is a covenant made before God with binding promises. What happens in the bedroom really does matter and will affect the church. The actions of an individual affect the whole community of believers because we are one. Think for a moment about this man that's described here. He slept with his stepmother, who may have actually been close to his age, but that's irrelevant. But this member, if he was, if he was a member of this church, how would that make husbands feel? They would be thinking, this guy has no sexual boundaries. Is my wife safe? Are my family safe? Is anyone safe? Immorality affects us all. In the marriage covenant, a man and a woman are joined together and become one flesh, and this is expressed in physical union. If the husband is immoral in any way, that affects the wife and vice versa. This is why marital unfaithfulness and breakdown is so, so painful because it is a ripping apart of that one flesh. We are one body in Christ. 
That is why immorality, the giving of yourself to another, is so damaging, not only to yourself, but to the church. It's a ripping apart and a destroying of trust. You must remember, we must all remember, that we are a holy community. Romans 11 verse 16 says, If the root is holy, so are the branches. And we are part of the vine. We are part of the root, aren't we? And we are to remain, we are called to remain in the vine. And dead branches are cut off and thrown in the fire. John 15. How you behave sexually really matters to the whole church. I came across a great illustration. It's a nice sunny day. You're out on a rowing boat on the coast, maybe off of Eastbourne or Pevensey Bay, somewhere like that. One man in the boat gets out his drill and underneath his seat he starts drilling a hole in the bottom of the boat. Obviously what's going to happen, water starts pouring in. People try to stop him but he says, I can do what I like in my part of the boat. It doesn't matter, it's not going to affect anyone else. How stupid. Immorality affects us all. The other thing to mention is that it is not a problem, of course, with mixing and eating with those in your town or street when we're able to again, and those who behave in ungodly ways outside of the church. But it is a problem to eat at the Lord's table, to take communion with those claiming to be believers, but living an immoral life, which includes the greedy and those who slander, those who are idolaters and robbers. You see, truth, integrity, and holiness in the church are at stake here. Paul picks this up later in chapter 11. He says, Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord Jesus. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. You know, our spiritual health, our our personal holiness affects the whole church. And in fact, this is how churches decline and die when they allow immorality. Paul then begins this bread-making lesson. I think Martin should be here for this. I feel totally unqualified to talk about bread-making. But where does this come from? Eating unleavened bread is a tradition that the Jews began some 3,000 years ago to celebrate Passover. And it was to remember and celebrate their exodus from the Egyptian slave masters. In bread making, uh, those of you who make sourdough will know this, leaven is the name of the portion of bread, portion of dough that is left over from the batch of unleavened bread. This is then put to one side and ferments over the next day or two. The bacteria gets to it and it is then kneaded into the next batch of unleavened bread. This makes the bread leavened, which causes it to rise. Similar action to yeast. Science lesson over. I don't really know what I'm talking about, but you get the idea, don't you? Jesus uses this analogy in a positive way in Matthew 13 about the kingdom's effect on society. Jesus also uses it negatively against the Pharisees' effect, demonstrating the corrupting effect of evil. Paul uses it here in saying that even a little leaven, even a little 
immorality causes evil. Paul is, <laughs> uh, it will, will affect the whole lump. And therefore, cleanse out the old leaven from you. Because we are to be an unleavened people, a holy people, separated unto Jesus. Paul is really saying to the Corinthian church, don't allow contamination. It will affect the whole church. My second point is that actually church is a safe place if you are humble and broken. The church is a safe place if you are broken sexually or struggle with any other of the nasties that Paul has mentioned here. Or indeed, if you have hidden sin in your life and you're prepared to deal with it, then church is a safe place. And the end of verse 7 tells us why. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So let's just unpack this a little bit here. Paul is drawing on the story of the exodus of the Hebrews from Egypt. The first few chapters of Exodus, you know, are really exciting to read. And I want us to draw on a couple of things from this story that will help us understand why church is a safe place. First, let me remind you of Moses' encounter with an angel and Almighty God while he was feeding sheep in the desert. Moses was 80, year old, 80 years old and he stumbled uh, across, he didn't stumble because he was 80 years old, he just came across a flaming bush which wasn't being consumed. It was a light with flames, not unusual in a desert, but the bush wasn't burning up. And God said, take off your sandals, you are on holy ground. And then God said, I have seen the afflictions and suffering of my people. I have heard their cry. I have come down to save them. This is a beautiful picture of exactly what Jesus has done. He has come down to save us. Jesus has come to find us, to find those trapped in sinful lifestyles. For the humble, for the sick, for the broken, Jesus is the safe place for deliverance and healing and restoration. Moving forward in the story of Exodus, missing loads of exciting miracles, we come to the evening before the, the last plague, when the firstborn in the land would be killed and the evening when the Hebrews were preparing to escape their slave masters in Egypt. This was the first Passover. Each family had to slaughter a young lamb without any defect for their evening meal. They drained its blood and smeared the blood on the doorposts and the lintels of the home. And then they roasted the lamb, sorry vegetarians, and ate the unleavened bread. And when the angel of the Lord came that night for the firstborn, he passed over the homes with the blood of the lamb on the doors. Christ, whose blood was smeared on the cross, saves us from the angel of death. But much, much more. Our sin is not just passed over, but is fully dealt with by the blood that Christ poured out on the cross. Hallelujah. 
And we are free. We are free from the slavery of sin as we by faith receive what Christ has done for us as we apply the blood to our own lives. Christ, the Passover lamb, has won deliverance for the whole world. Freedom has been given for us to escape all unholiness and live in the promised land of his kingdom. And let me remind you that Christ died at the Jewish festival of Passover. Christ was crucified and rose again the same weekend the Jews celebrated Passover. Therefore, completely and absolutely fulfilling those words that Christ has become our Passover lamb. He has provided for all that is needed for your deliverance, for your salvation, for you to be released from the control of sin, from your personal Egypt. What a saviour we have. Christ came to find you. So among the people of God, the church of Jesus Christ becomes a safe place to receive salvation, healing and deliverance from all sin, including the sin of sexual immorality. We are free to leave the leaven of our own old lives, the contamination of our old lives. We are free from the contamination of sin to live in holiness because you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified, you are made just as if you have never sinned and by the name of Jesus Christ and by the power of his spirit. Hallelujah. So church is not a safe place if you are an arrogant immoral sinner but church is a very safe place if you are humble if you are seeking God and if you open your life to Jesus Christ he is our healer and our saviour so let me ask you a question do you need an upgrade God has been speaking to me about upgrade personally And uh, I believe that God wants to upgrade our lives personally and as a church. He wants to take us to the next level. So do you need an upgrade in holiness? Holiness, you know, is a partnership with Jesus. Yes, we have received the righteousness of Christ. It has been imputed to us when Christ found us. But we're also called to live holy lives. You know, many sincere Christians have tried to live out a holy lifestyle in different ways in the past, which have usually ended up with the church making all sorts of different rules about what you should wear, where you should go, rules about alcohol, rules about what you do on a Sunday, and even to the extent of living uh, separate from society. Now, it is important how we dress where we go physically or where we go virtually these days, it's important how we speak, what we watch, what we read, what we listen to. But holy living is all about living separated unto Jesus. Holy living is all about making ourselves beautiful for Jesus, preparing ourselves for the bridegroom, being attractive for the Holy Spirit to dwell in and giving glory 
to our Father in heaven. Are there things contaminating you? Just want you to do a little check this morning, whether you're here or at home. Are there things that are contaminating you? Do you need an upgrade in holiness? Can I invite the worship team to come back? Thank you so much for that. Can I just say, if you at home or here this morning need some help, help is available. We can't help you person to person here this morning, but do contact your life group leader. Uh, If you have been challenged or you know that you need uh, to change, Uh, They will help you, or the pastoral team, you can find who's on the pastoral team on the website if you don't know who's on the pastoral team, or Healing House uh, can help you. But can I encourage you to get the help that you need? You know, humble yourself so that you uh, can live an uncontaminated life. You can have that upgrade in holiness. I encourage you to do that during this week. Don't let the moment pass by. Don't let the next few days pass by without taking action if you need to. And if you've not found Jesus, you haven't, Jesus hasn't found you, then I'd encourage you to contact us also you know, through those, those ways. Let's just have a moment of, of quiet. Can I just ask you to just search your heart now? Allow the Holy Spirit just to highlight any contamination anything that's displeasing to our Father. And uh, can I encourage you just to humbly come and bring that to him? You know, David in the psalm said, create in me a clean heart. He wasn't the finished article. We're not the finished article. Is that your prayer? Is that your desire for holiness? Create in me a pure heart, O God. And as Anna brought that word earlier, maybe it's a mountain of unholiness that you're facing. I tell you, unholiness can feel like a mountain. It can feel like an out-of-control mountain. That mountain will come down because Christ has become our Passover lamb. Father, we just thank you so much Uh, for Jesus thank you that he is the lamb without defect he was holy and he was the one that was able to free us because of his death on the cross he's the one that's able to free us from all unholiness all unrighteousness enable us to live free thank you for our Passover lamb I just want to read to you um, some words from 2 Peter. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which we've been granted to us precious and very great promises so that through them, you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. His divine power has granted to you all, that, all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him 
who called us to his own glory and excellence. Thank you, Lord. Amen.